fade in. You're listening to Let's Bogart. Please welcome your host, Daniel Williston. It's me, it's just me. Welcome, buds. You're listening to Let's Bogart, the recreational review podcast where we rate hits by fading out before we fade in. So whether you're here for the plot or the pot, we'll roll camera and roll joints and curate a pairing experience, both celluloid and cannabinoid in nature. Did you hear that? I warmed up my voice today. I did my warm-ups. I did my yum, 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 and my... And my, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Getting ready, because I wanted my voice to be in good shape to be able to do this intro and outro, because we're doing um, our first music movie. Well, Eurovision, I guess, had music too. So I guess it started out with music. And it's continuing on with music. Uh, this one uh, uh, was a, a ton of fun to do. I got to smoke uh, our first Edison on the show, which was fun. Got to smoke some Limelight, which is a sativa of theirs. Uh, it, it, we had a great time smoking it. I had a fun time doing it. Limelight, beca- we chose Limelight because the movie is about the music industry and trying to make it in the music industry. And what does success mean? How do you uh, achieve success? The movie is Inside Lewin Davis. It was released in 2013, 2014 in uh, uh, the US, 2013 in France, I think it premiered. Uh, it's an hour and 44 minutes long. It's rated 14A in Canada, R by the US MPAA. Uh, and it had a 92 Metacritic and 93% Rotten Tomato score. So, uh, overwhelmingly uh, enjoyed by critics. Go figure. It's a Coen Brothers movie. I love the Coen Brothers. Big Lebowski, one of my favorite movies of all time. A bunch of theirs are some of my favorite movies of all time. I really enjoy theirs. And I really enjoyed this one. And I got to talk about it with uh, a fellow musician. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm like a, a theater actor. I'm a professional theater actor who hasn't been able to do theater for a long time because of this pandemic. But uh, normally I work as a professional in like uh, musicals and stuff. I play a bunch of instruments, but <laughs> not as many instruments as my guest today. He's a great guy. He's uh, a wonderful musician. He's got an excellent brain and an excellent heart. And uh, he's the guitarist in my band. So it was cool to have him on and get to just shoot the shit about uh, a movie that's specifically about uh, some of the stuff that we're thinking about and going through right now. Uh, so with no further ado, let me introduce you to this awesome, awesome guy. Uh, Daniel, tell us who we're talking about today. All right. My guest today is a Toronto-based actor, writer, improviser, producer, composer, sound designer, and a musician who can play more instruments than you have toes. Originally from Vancouver, BC, he has a bachelor's degree in political science and government from the University of British Columbia and a BFA in acting from the University of Alberta. He graduated from the Soul Pepper Academy, and he is the artistic director of Puzzle Piece Theatre Company, who's played the Little Prince Reimagined, nabbed them four Dora nominations. He's currently a serving member on the Canadian Actors Equity Council, as well as host of the political podcast, Explain It to Jamie. 
His newest creation, Hard Rain, a mixtape cabaret, is both a stunning meditation and musical balm for these isolated, tumultuous times and is available now on SoundCloud, so go listen to it. He's also the lead guitarist in a Toronto band called James King and the Midnight Hours, who have recorded their first full-length LP to be released uh, sometime soon. So please join me in warmly welcoming a bandmate, artist, musician, activist, and great friend who I'm, I, I'm very blessed to have in my life, Richard Lamb. Richard, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Oh, thanks for having me, Daniel. It's so good to be here. It is really good to have you. So, Richard, t- can you tell me, like, what can you remember about the very first time that you ever tried cannabis? Um, I think when I'm, I, I'm remembering that I was 13 years old. In grade eight, I come from, I feel like it was alluded to in the, the intro, but I come from Vancouver, British Columbia. So you know <laughs> that you know what you're talking about when it comes to cannabis. Yeah, and it was like, it, it's kind of part of, I mean, especially when it was illegal. Um, sure. It was a huge part of like the identity there that we had very good weed. And so like, you know, I feel like it was a little more common probably than it was other places. Um, yeah. But I first smoked cannabis at the age of 13 in grade eight with some like cool older kids. Um, <laughs> and, and I went to a, a grade eight at a school exclusively for nerds. So like, this was like, re- when I say cool older kids, I mean like it was extremely relative. Uh, <laughs> and we went to like a parking garage or something. We went like up to the top floor of a parking garage and all stood in a clandestine circle. And like, I had like a couple puffs on the joint. I remember like not really feeling very much at all. Sure. Uh, and then I probably didn't try it again until about seven or eight months later, and I'd switched schools and was with some new people. And that time I mm. got like very pleasantly high and proceeded to spend a huge part of my grade nine extremely high, to be perfectly honest. And then I <laughs> and then I calmed down and discovered moderation and, and life. Was sure, yeah, 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 yeah. But when you find that new thing, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it yeah. To be a part of your life pretty quick. What was your what What would be like activities that people in vancouver would do when you're you're getting high in high school like that i mean like i feel like there's a universal experience to be out here which is like (laughs) mostly i don't know we'd get high and then just like wander around or we would like we'll watch movies or or play games or something like you know it wasn't it wasn't like we were up to anything fancier we were probably just significantly more stoned by accident than a lot of people yeah yeah <laughs> and uh would music be a part of that were you jamming with people while uh was any of this uh, music circles yeah we would definitely play i mean like i wasn't in super we we, we were a lot of hobbyist musicians back in the day like we sure. played a lot of like i remember playing a huge amount of sublime on my acoustic guitar <laughs> you know uh, obviously there is like a pretty heavy cannabis connection there too so that sure. might explain a bit about it and like a lot of like <laughs> A lot of like, yeah, kind of like it was pre the indie folk revolution of the mid two thousands, kind of. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it wasn't that stuff yet, but it was a lot of like Dave Matthews and like sure. Dispatch and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like I said, Sublime. I like I was into punk and ska music too, so I played lots of that, and we would and we would just yeah. like bum around playing music a lot actually. It does sound fun. Yeah. Was uh, was uh, 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 U of BC and U of A were there uh, big uh, pothead connections in there? It's always just been a an ingredient in the spice of life. Uh, you know what I mean? I've always been around and known people who have smoked cannabis or used cannabis in some way, and so it was always available and always 
always there. It was, and I felt like I always existed in some pretty healthy communities for it too. Like no one I oh, knew right. ex- like exclusively did it all the time to the detriment of their lives, but everyone like right. was pretty familiar with it. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I think in like you were talking about in high school, you you uh, maybe you find it and it's it, the new exciting thing. But then there's a, a cool down period where you find either that it's it's not really for you and that you move on with your life, or you find a way to integrate it into your life in in a, a healthy way that allows you to kill still do the things that you want to do and enjoy the things you want to enjoy. Yeah, totally. And I knew it for a long time basically exclusively is like a party experience or like a social experience i very rarely would get it on my own and smoke it alone and Mm -hmm. it was and uh, for a while i thought i didn't really like it because i almost always mix it with alcohol and i'd get like really tired really fast Mm -hmm. um but eventually when the kind of like pre-legalization dispensary boom happened here Mm -hmm. one opened up down the street for me and i got signed up and i started to get a lot more into like the the idea of like smoking a kind of higher more uh, more active sativa and then like doing sure. stuff i would write very frequently after yeah. you know smoking a joint or like mm-hmm. um or do work or something like that and that was really a good development for me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we were talking about uh, uh before we came on the show we were talking about uh, uh doing um uh, uh tasks in in video games like, like chores and I think that uh, chores for me has been a big thing where I've been uh, getting to experiment with like, what what can I use that allows me to still like <laughs> focus on the task and get the task done in a reasonable amount of time, but maybe makes it a little bit more imaginative. Totally. Or I'm really just writing, creating in any, in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Absolutely. So today we, uh, for this one, we smoked, uh, Edison limelight. Had you smoked this strain before? I had not. No, I've never smoked it either. I, this is actually my, is it my first, I've tried the, um, Edison, Edison has on the market right now, these, uh, uh, powdered like thc powder that you can throw in a drink and stir it up and so you get like your 10 milligrams or whatever of thc and it's uh it's a pretty yeah it's it's a decent product you still have a little bit of a a bitter taste to it but if you're mixing it in with something that complements it it's it's pretty nice tasting but this is the first uh uh, flower that i'm smoking from them which is pretty exciting yeah i was uh really impressed with this one to be honest (laughs) yeah yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was too. I, uh, have I had anything else from uh, this? Uh, this stuff has grown. Um, Edison is owned by or- Organigram, which yeah. is out in Moncton. So it's New Brunswick weed, which I don't think I've tried anything else that is, that is New Brunswick. But yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed the experience of this one. Yeah, it's very, I mean, uh, so I'm not like a fancy bud tender like some of the other folks you've had on here. So I'm a mere, <laughs> a mere mortal. Um, but yeah, like, um, I found that it was a really like pleasant taste. The parts of it that didn't taste like a tiny explosion tasted like noticeably quite like bright and flowery and it wasn't very heavy at all. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's, oh yeah, yeah, you go, you go ahead. You go. No, 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 you go. go. I was just gonna say, and then the, like, yeah, the experience of kind of the high is very energetic, very pleasant, (laughs) um, very up kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's a it's a sativa, which mm-hmm. I I think is interesting. I I've been starting to track this as I've been doing the show. The, the where the crosses happen mm-hmm. with uh, species. So like this, uh, uh, limelight is like the name that Edison gives 
this strain, which is their ultra sour strain. So mm-hmm. that's what it would have been referred to on the on the gray market. Mm-hmm. Um, but that uh, uh, ultra sour is coming from uh, East Coast Sour Diesel, mm-hmm. um, which is a sativa. But then MK Ultra is crossed with it, which is a, a pretty heavy indica. Hmm. So it's uh, I find yeah I find it interesting that you could, that the sometimes uh you you feel like okay a sativa and an indica would probably together make a hybrid but that's mm. not always the case the math doesn't work out like that genetics uh, uh tend to kind of go like which i guess happens with humans too yeah yeah totally but i was like this is such a very almost pure sativa experience you know yeah i really didn't get a lot of indica hits off it at all no yeah and i found myself actually like talking really fast and (laughs) and uh and i you know i sat through a movie that is not the most like wildly fast pacing your face movie pretty late at night and i got through that whole thing like no problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah i felt like like um in with with really strong sativas i tend to get like a like a tingling on my face like a like kind of a focused mm-hmm. uh bouncy kind of feel and yeah i did feel like i was up like i was up and ready to go and focused on this movie yeah and i sort of hanging on everyone's word and every every last note and uh uh just really in it but i didn't get any of that yeah that couch lock or that no. that feeling like sitting back you know i was i was sort of on the edge of my seat the whole time watching the movie yeah totally and i'm actually really looking forward to because i still have a little bit of it left now um like like trying to write some songs or play some music with it like yeah. it'd be perfect for that or perfect for like writing a play writing prose yeah. oh absolutely i pulled out i i uh uh smoked a little this morning i pulled out my guitar which i haven't done in a really long time because mm-hmm. i've been busy i've been doing things and things come up and just hearing how <laughs> out of tune it was my guitar usually stays pretty in tune so i'm like if it's out of tune that means it's uh, i've been neglecting it but playing through a couple of the uh the changes from the movie uh uh that we were that uh, we're going to be talking about was really fun to kind of kind of do on on limelight and feeling sort of what what that might be like to just smoke a little bit of weed and play a song or two to yourself yeah totally uh, so it's between it's between uh 20 percent and 27 percent thc the one that i got is uh sitting around 20 it says 27 percent. i i've never seen uh edison uh limelight come in above like a 22 or 23 but mm-hmm. uh even with the 20 i think it's uh it becomes a really good activity one then mm-hmm. because if i think if it was a much higher thc concentration i think it would be maybe a little much or get into like uh anxiety territory where yeah. the you know the 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 uppity the uppity the like upper kind of uh activity feeling gets uh yeah like a, a like too much to handle yeah totally i remember to- thinking actually while i was smoking it this morning also um mm-hmm. that like i was like this is the kind of weed i feel like that would have made me really paranoid in uh, high school but at the mm-hmm. same time I was like, I haven't felt paranoid about my cannabis usage 
since it was legalized. <laughs> and maybe that particular side effect of cannabis usage was a bit context specific. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I still feel weird about like I, I remember like getting together for a, a picnic with the band mm-hmm. and even just having like like a vaporizer, not even like a joint yeah. and feeling like can I there's like families around can I should yeah. I can I but you can. It's it's totally legal. You totally. can just smoke it it's fucking great i mean an an unambiguously good thing that happened in the last few years absolutely and i mean let's hold on to those things yeah 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 so one thing about the nugs in this is that they are machine trimmed Mm. um listen I, i like i looked at them i don't know that i can tell the difference between a hand trim and a machine trim Mm -hmm. but i do know that the machine trim like knocks off trichomes from it because it's automated and uh uh, not you know the the care that a person with their Mm -hmm. hands and actual shears would uh uh, be able to handle the bud with um but it it bud still looked nice yeah, I got a pre-roll, so I can't help you. I believe you. Right. <laughs> how? Okay. So how did the? How did it? Was it a good burn? Did it? Uh, uh, was was it dry? Did you cough a lot? Uh, it was okay. I didn't yeah. notice it being particularly dry. I coughed once when I of the mm-hmm. two or three times I smoked it. I think so. Not yeah. that bad. Um, the yeah the OCS pre-rolls. It definitely one of them canoed pretty hard. Um, and that was a bit frustrating, but you know, whatever. Maybe it's also windy, and it's what it is. Yeah. But it felt yeah. it was an it was a nice enough burn. It felt like it was sure. working for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so sour diesel ha- does have a really like sour um, taste and smell to it. Mm-hmm. Like you really get that kind of uh, uh, vinegary tang. Mm-hmm. Did you did you experience any of that while smoking it? I feel like it's there, but it's like. Um, reduced in intensity probably like there was yeah. like i said it, it almost felt like citrus or something like there was sure. definitely a distinctive sourness that is not mm-hmm. inherent to cannabis but i like that a lot i found it quite pleasant yeah. and there is a a, a pretty high uh, component of limonene mm-hmm. in it which is a terpene in the plant that uh, does taste pretty citrusy like lime or lemon or mm-hmm. uh, orange even um there's also some uh, uh, humulene, which I know is, it, it's like the, um, the hoppy, the thing that gives hops uh, uh, in beer, mm-hmm. that kind of like thick, robust uh, uh, flavor, but also uh, like earthy, but also uh, there's, a, there's a bit of sweetness in there too. And I think that cuts down some of the, the sourness so that it's not uh, like a suck your face off. Right. You know? Uh, and the other uh, terpene that's in it that I thought was interesting uh, is terpinaline, which is not in, uh, it's not often in uh, uh, cannabis and like uh, on the stuff that's on the market right now. And it's also uh, uh, always when it does appear, it's a very small portion of the thing. So there's caryophylline uh, yeah, is like a spicy one that you get in like cinnamon and stuff. That's more present mm. in the in the taste and uh, aroma profile. Uh, but terpinaline is described as like a lurker in small amounts. And the, the taste is 
sort of borrows a bunch of tastes from a bunch of different other terpenes so it's hard to be like that's what terpinaline smells Hmm. like or tastes like because it can be piney uh which could be like pinene or or floral uh it's described as herbaceous and a little citrus Mm -hmm. so not as citrus obviously as the limonene but still a little bit there but what people describe um the smell as being is fresh there's like a freshness to it Hmm. and i think that that uh came through in the buds uh uh for sure yeah 100 percent. i totally agree with that yeah one of my favorite sativas for activities like doing creative stuff is uh jack herrera mm-hmm. and that has a bunch of uh, uh terpinaline in it so if people like the terpinaline that's in the the edison limelight finding a jack herrera uh, is a good way to go yeah. the one i used to use was i believe called sour blueberry a thing oh yeah, yeah i love stuff that comes from blueberry yeah anything that you cross blueberry with i'm real into and that was probably crossed with the same sour that this was right also? sure yeah yeah probably yeah, yeah it was a very very fun <laughs> amazing would you uh would you get this this again limelight i absolutely would get this again like i said this is yeah. the kind of thing I, I would like to have around for sure just like when i need to focus in on something creative and kind of bypass my personal sensor this was the sure. thing to do yeah yeah it's nice to have a, a strain around to silence the yeah, thing in you like, what are you doing yeah there's a no there's like legitimately a, a playwright named young jean lee who says that when she starts writing a play she deliberately tries to write the worst play possible and that's like phenomenal writing advice and like a that's little a little puff of cannabis will really help you just like no like follow <laughs> those instincts where you're like this is terrible i'm gonna write it and then you just write it out yeah and often i find that's the most interesting part of the stuff that i write after is the stuff where i was like this is bad and then i'm like oh no it wasn't bad it was just like a little unusual and i was reacting negatively to it because of that yeah I I love I've talked about it before but I loved George Carlin's advice he would be like I would sit there and I'll write jokes uh completely sober but then the next day when I pull out the notebook I smoke a big joint and then I get to do punch-ups I think having having it's it's hard as a writer to feel like you're getting an idea of what this thing is like it's for me anyway i feel like i write something and then i'm like okay i need to show someone so that i can get a reaction Mm -hmm. like i need to i don't know just myself sitting down looking at this thing do is this good or bad or worthwhile or whatever Mm -hmm. so to have have uh, a a sober brain and uh, a cannabis brain uh, sort of lets me have two opinions that i can feel like i'm having a conversation with definitely yeah that's what i like it for <laughs> so that brings us to the end of our first segment, Richard, which means it's time for our first game. Yay, Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> this is a game called In It to Minute. In it to Minute. In it to Minute. That's a game where you, Richard Lamb, have 60 seconds to tell us the story of Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. Like now? So- starting now? Uh, no, I'll, okay. I'll tell you when to start, because okay, okay. you're going to get the full 60 seconds. Okay. I'm not going okay. to cheap you thank out or anything. You, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. So we're looking for a beginning, a middle, and an end, as best as you can do for six in 60 seconds. Okay. So are you ready? Yes. Are you nice and high? I sure am. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, this is going to go great. 60 seconds on the clock. In it to minute, Richard Lamb, and go! In it to minute. Okay, so Inside Lewin Davis is a spiritual prequel to the Pixar movie Ratatouille. <laughs> 
in which in which a cat torments uh, an up and coming up and coming folk musician in the Greenwich Village scene of 1961. A sentient cat uh, leads him on a journey of self discovery. Um, no, okay, sorry. I'm, I probably used 45 seconds making that joke. It's, no, you got 30 okay, seconds. Okay, so now. in Inside Lewin Davis, it's about a kind of alternate universe question mark. Uh, yeah. Newport, like a folk scene, a Greenwich Village folk scene of New York, like uh, in the 1960s, immediately before the arrival of Bob Dylan, in which uh, this down and out songwriter kind of spends this one real bad week trying to put together the pieces of his life and pursuing his dream. He, uh, He's in a bad way at the top of the movie. He, he has to pay for Five seconds. his lover's abortion. He goes to Chicago and gets rejected and comes back and something happens to conclude it. <laughs> <laughs> That's time! That's, uh, you know what? I think you, you, you got pretty much the whole movie in that. Yeah, this is a... I mean, we, we were, again, just briefly chatting before we started recording, but this yeah. movie is um, maybe an all-timer in terms of how uh, long people will be reckoning with it like it's uh, complicated yes. it defies <laughs> it defies any easy explanations or easy interpretations and in a, in a way that i think is quite brilliant but it makes it that when you describe it it sounds like a fucking terrible movie but it is a movie <laughs> i really love absolutely yeah well we're, we're gonna find out exactly what you think about this entire movie so and you listener are gonna be able to hear what we both think about uh, uh inside lewin davis right here on let's bogart with richard lamb please come back it'll be great thanks for tuning in buds we're just interrupting the program for a quick second to tell you a little bit about something that we here at let's bogart think is worth paying attention to the Remix Project was created in order to help level the playing field for young people from marginalized and underserved communities. Their programs and services serve youth who are trying to enter into the creative industries or further their formal education. The Remix Project provides top-notch alternative creative educational programs, facilitators, and facilities. What Remix has to offer, it has a knowledgeable and supportive staff team. It has a 5,000 square foot facility with full recording studio, photography studio, business development center, creative arts lab, and video editing suite, and more. Range of... What it has to offer, a knowledgeable and supportive staff team, a 5,000 square foot facility with a full recording studio, photography studio, business development center, creative arts lab, a video editing suite, and more. They've got a range of mentors who are relevant industry professionals and who work one-on-one -on -one with young people, and workshops that bring in other industry professionals to talk about their experiences and give practical steps to starting and maintaining a successful career. So why this needs to happen? Let me tell you, many of our young people have been disengaged by the system available to them and often believe that a path along the straight and narrow is not an option for them. So it is critical for a project of this nature to get off the ground so that youth from Toronto and Chicago priority neighborhoods know that it is possible to be a master of their own destiny and understand that there is a place for them in our society, offering more than a job or a call center or a jail cell. In terms of lasting impact, the results of this program will help to create a more diverse and skilled workforce in Toronto and Chicago's thriving cultural and creative industries. With each successful placement of a young person in the creative and cultural economy, the Remix Project makes it that much easier for the next young person to be taken seriously and given a chance. So, call to action! 
This is what we want you to do. Visit https colon slash slash theremixproject.com or visit them on Instagram at theremixproject. There's a place that you can donate uh, uh, and programs of this type need uh, need uh, funding to be able to continue giving what they're giving to our communities, which is super important right now and super important for our music industry, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> these days, not, not, not always doing that well. There's coming a time where the only people who are going to be able to afford to do music are the richest people among us. And that's going to uh, make our culture less good. <laughs> So we want music from everybody, and we want to give opportunities to those who ha haven't had as many opportunities given to them. So please visit their website, visit their Instagram, share, uh, donate, find out how you can become a part of uh, a solution to uh, the problems that are facing us in our society right now and helping people like the Remix Project bring that into reality. Thank you so much for listening, and now back to the show. All right, we're back, Richard. <laughs> uh, you so you you love this movie. You open with with uh, with yeah. Say, did you love it the first time you saw it? Um, I I feel so complicated about it. Like like I felt I feel like this movie is so intensely personal for me. Like it's uh, mm -hmm. like this really uncomfortable mirror of many of my fears, my actual literal battles, my struggles. And so because of that, when I first watched the movie, I remember watch, I've only watched it one time before this and I remember watching it. I remember it just erupting all these super complicated feelings in me. And I remember like, I, I don't know if I would have said I liked it. I think I said I liked it, but I, to people, but I, what my actual emotional reaction was so complicated, it profoundly affected me, and I, I feel I was quite profoundly connected to this movie too. Like, um, did I like it the way that I like like things that are fun and easy to like? No, I don't think yeah. so. I think it's kind of a tough watch. Uh, yeah, but. It really changed me, actually. And it changed me in a kind of parallel way to the movie Once, which was also like a movie about musicians struggling to mm. define themselves and create identity and things like that and believe in their work. But yeah. like in this movie, like I watched it one time, but I like, you know, learned tons about all the music, played tons of the music. Yeah. I ended up... Um, this is actually funny. The, the the song in the movie is called Dink's Song, or it's also known as Fare Thee Well, which is like a major. The song is a major plot device in the in the movie. Yeah, I actually ended up writing a like piano etude of that song for myself, and it's like the number one thing I practiced. And I just did that one day while I was sitting down because it was just rolling through my head over and over that song because of the movie. Oh, and now I still yeah. play it. I play it once. Like I play the the song in a key, and then I circle of fifths modulate through all twelve tones and so i can play this Whoa. one this, that song in every single key in two hands i taught myself how to do it yeah that's incredible yeah and that's how i practice piano when i have like five or ten minutes just to like rip something out i just pick a place to start a key to start and i just modulate through until i have to stop oh my god so then you can sort of understand each key in relation to exactly exactly and because yeah, the music yeah. theory behind the tune is is simple but interesting and like there's enough in it that I that I'm always like thinking about something while I'm playing it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I remember when I first saw this movie, I I I felt very much the same way because that the question at, at the heart of it 
is is a really complicated and personal one for any i think artist to uh, uh, ask themselves and i think any artist worth their salt is constantly struggling with it mm-hmm. but having the music to be able to talk about made such an easy out for those kinds of conversations yeah. like whenever i would talk about this movie it was constantly like i think yeah i like i liked the movie but the music was just oh wasn't it great and t-bone burnett and oscar isaac playing his own shit and you know like getting to Mm-hmm. To get into that was a way of <laughs> avoiding some of the the deeper questions that are going on. Yeah, and I actually, um, I, I I I don't know where I've fallen on the music anymore in the movie. When I I remember being completely captivated by the music the first time that I saw it, and mm-hmm. this time I was actually really wondering how I felt about the way the music is handled in the movie. And I was coming down a little bit more on the negative side, actually through the most of the movie until the very end, when all of a sudden I wondered if the Coen brothers or the people who were and T-Bone Burnett together were truly on the level that I thought they were as like creators. And if they were really putting this much thought into the, the movie, I was, I was like, then I'm blown away if this is the statement they're making. Cause, I, the, but okay, maybe I should just explain what I'm thinking instead of talking about what I'm thinking. <laughs> so like, this is supposed to be, again, like I said, it's like an alternate version of alternate universe version of the Greenwich village folk scene in 1961. So there's right. all the characters in this movie are heavily based and often visually, obviously referencing real folk singers, but none of them right. are the real folk singers. Right. right. They're all these yeah. like reflections like Lewin Davis, the main character played by Oscar Isaac is Dave Van Ronk or he's supposed right. to be like Dave Van Ronk and like Stark Sands character who's like the army guy. He's an actual folk singer too. Uh, the Clancy brothers, like an alternate version of the Clancy brothers appears in the movie mm-hmm. in the white, the Irish guys in the white knit sweaters. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the three people do, doing the like Peter, Paul and Mary thing. Yes. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so and they are often all like, but they're not those people. Like it's right. not it's a them fictionalized. Yeah, yeah. and they don't look like them. They're just like these like slanted versions of them. And so mm-hmm. the music, the way that it's produced and treated, it's, they're often these really hypnotic sequences. They let these songs be played in, in full a lot of the time, which I am obsessed with and I love. Yeah. But the production on it is ultra modern, like ultra modern. Yeah. It's like really clean uh vocal production like boosted mm-hmm. in this kind of like low mid that just didn't exist in the 60s as a right. recorded music concept maybe you know live things probably sounded different but live then um you know they had very different equipment different electronics so yeah. like to me to my ear this music sounds super modern like i can hear yes. the modern production modern studio and that applies to uh everything basically yeah. like, look at the harmonies the, the clancy brothers thing when oscar isaac plays it really even though i know the singing is live it's just treated in this very modern way and i thought that was a weird choice um at first and okay. then the spoiler <laughs> alert at, at the very end of the movie the last scene of the movie is like this groundhog day thing or it's like you don't really know it but the movie starts in a flash in a at the big end and then goes back to the flashes back to the beginning yeah. but it's not actually clear that that's what it's done no um and at the so at the end of you see the scene where oscar isaac like leaves the folk club and right as he's leaving the folk club bob dylan starts playing and this is the first time right. we see a real musician from our who existed actually mm. as himself and i'm pretty sure they play a clip 
of Bob Dylan. Like, I don't think it's a recording of him. Yes. So that's not an actual, that's not the singer. Everyone else in the movie has sung their own stuff for real. Yeah. Except this clip of Bob Dylan and they play a sixties era clip of Bob Dylan and it sounds tinny and it knifes through everything else that you've heard. Like, and it's Uh so different. You've yeah. been hearing this folk music played and it has all sounded this really specific way that actually wasn't right for the period. And then suddenly you hear something authentic to uh-huh. the period. And to me, my ear was like, boom. And like, that's when my brain exploded. I was like, oh my God, it was all deliberate. It was all made that way so that this moment where we hear Bob Dylan, we realize he's the, the real thing. Yeah. And I, I think. Well, and it seems like that is intentional because, yes. like you said, he's also, it's the only time that we're being shown an actual person who is not a facsimile yes. of someone in New York. It's the actual Bob Dylan, and they're making, making it out to be that, and they're playing his tune. So I do think that that is deliberate, that we're in this fairy tale world uh uh both sonically and narratively and then we find ourselves at the end catapulted into what for them and for the folk scene the real folk scene in 1961 in greenwich village would have experienced when that change came a hundred percent and that's something that completely went over my head the first time me too um, when i saw yeah, it yeah. but but and and again watching it the second time i was like do i like the way this music is handled like i'm i'm not sure i do and then i heard that and i was like oh my god this has all been a journey to this destination and that's a brilliant piece of craft like as a sound design music concept like that mm-hmm. is brilliant mm-hmm. yeah i agree i i i i think i slightly disagree with you on the uh, uh, I really liked the modern production of this music because everything else is a throwback. Like we're seeing old cars, we're seeing old fashions. The the color palette is taken straight from the uh, the freewheeling freewheeling Bob Dylan uh, uh, cover. Mm-hmm. Like so much of that is a throwback, but at the time that folk music that that scene wasn't. Well, I mean, it's borrowing from folk songs of old, but it it was like a new thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was still for them. It was modern music until actual modern music came in, in the way of uh, uh, Bob Dylan and completely transformed the scene and what was happening. But for them, like to fe- for it to feel contemporary makes it feel immediate, maybe. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is why this is a brilliant movie. Like we haven't barely talked about the movie. We're still talking about just the production of the music, (laughs) but it's actually, it goes this deep. Like, like I wonder too, then if it's like what they wanted to do was make it so that the Newport, the, the, sorry, the new, I keep calling it that the Greenwich village folk music sounded, Mm -hmm. um, modern right and it sounds modern to our ears now they made it sound modern for us but then when dylan sings it's like he's channeling something from the past which actually is if i I was just for the sake of this i read the first couple chapters of bob dylan's chronicles again where he talks about this this moment in the scene and this dave van ronk thing and he talks a lot about that he's like i cared about the past i was like like deeply invest in these folk songs from the past and those events of like the titanic sinking and john henry hitting a railroad spike were more real to me than the current events of my contemporary time and so and like maybe that's that musical concept too it's like this guy is channeling something from elsewhere when he plays which is what he talks about a lot about dylan yeah well and it's interesting too then to to uh, 
for that idea to be present because uh, uh, um, Lewin Davis constantly says like uh, offhandedly as like a, you know, little stage joke. Uh, it was never, it was uh, never new and uh, it never gets old because it's a folk song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he, he doesn't really seem to be connected emotionally to that idea. No. And for someone to come along and pick up the mantle that he has been carrying of the precious artist and the 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 one who the truth teller and the one who's going to really say something with their art and do something that he's incapable of doing yeah i, uh, I think it's cool there's this thing i want to find it's a quote from uh from dylan's book and i know that um the coen brothers heavily used um the Coen brothers heavily used the, the biography about Dave Van Ronk as like kind of the leaping off point the for the Bible. movie. Yeah. But this quote from, um, from D Dylan's Chronicles, I actually thought like, I was like, I wonder if this was the seed for the actual character of Lewin Davis, who is not Lewin Davis is based on Dave Van Ronk in the sense that he plays David, Dave Van Ronk's repertoire in the way right. that Dave Van Ronk played it. And Dave Van Ronk's, has an album called Inside Dave Ram Rock. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. he's not actually like the actual guy at all. Um, yeah, and they they tried to do that on on press junkets and stuff for that. They really did try to distance yes. it, saying like Lewin Davis is because people were coming forward and saying like you're really tarnishing Steve Van Rock's well, that's why, uh, name that's by why, having this real asshole do his his stuff. That's why I think it's more like this is an alternate reality version of Greenwich Village right. and not the, the real one. But I want to read this quote because I almost yeah, think that it. this sounds like Lewin Davis for me. He's talking. Uh, uh, Bob Dylan's talking about a singer named Ricky Nelson. Okay. And he says, he didn't sing desperately, do a lot of damage, and you'd never mistake him for a shaman. It didn't feel like his endurance was ever being tested to the utmost, but it didn't matter. He sang his songs calm and steady like he was in the middle of a storm, men hurling past him. His voice was sort of mysterious and made you fall into a certain mood. And, and, and then he says... I'd been a big fan of Ricky's and still liked him, but that type of music was on its way out. It had no chance of meaning anything. There'd be no future for that stuff in the future. It was all a mistake. <laughs> um, and so, and I'm like, that actually sounds like a character summary of Lou and Davis. Exactly. And I, yeah. you know, and I wonder if, if Oscar Isaac might've leaned on that quote or discovered that quote, because that really, really describes what he does with his performances musically and as, as an actor in that show. Yeah. Yeah, he really does. Even those like um when he does the the solo version of Dink's song. Yes. And he has to go for that high note that's a little it's it's a little high for him. the way that he places it as a singer yeah. even makes it seem kind of like easy. Yeah. It's it's an interesting way of yeah, of going about performance. Yeah, that's gotta be. That's so apt. It, it's and it, even quote. like even the quote, even the detail about like Oscar um, Lewin Davis, the character goes out on the Merchant Marine. It's like there's yeah. like kind of like an almost like he's like comes from a seafaring lineage, and there's yeah. even the quote about like a sailor in a storm. You know, like mm -hmm. and he likes and he plays songs about sailors for his his dad at one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was about to say something and I forget what it is. Oh yeah. If you've never, have you listened to the Dave Van Rock version of that song? No. Yeah. So it's an astonishing recording. Definitely one of the, like, it, 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 and this is part of maybe my, my difference of experiencing this movie too, is that I had never encountered any of this 
stuff until I saw the movie. And then after the, right. I saw the movie the first time, I went and listened to the Dave M. Wrong stuff. Now I'm watching the movie again, knowing that stuff a bit better. Oh, and, and yeah, Dave Van, those are, a lot of those choices are Dave Van Wrong's choices. Like he sings the high well on the yeah. L vowel. He goes, the well. Which you can hear Oscar Isaac do too, but yeah. Van Ronk's recording is raw and like massive and huge and like can't be contained. And Oscar Isaac's, it's fascinating knowing that it's based on him, but it's like the opposite performance. And, yeah. and I think that says so much about the place this guy's in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that his, his, belief in it all like he's defined himself by this belief but that the the actual belief is is escaping him now Mm -hmm. like he 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 keeps trying to double down on faith that what he's doing is worthwhile yeah like doing art this art is worthwhile and he's being faced with it, like it's almost every single scene of him like setting himself up like you said holding on the hypnosis of of those long takes and going through the entirety of a song mm-hmm. uh and letting it play out and being uh, enraptured by the music and the magic of it and then having a character or something happen that completely pulls the rug out from under him yeah and and dashes and, his faith and it's also i i what i really saw this time too was like i think there's a lot to read into this movie i think we project you can project a lot onto this movie because yes it doesn't uh it it shows a lot and tells very little yes and um and one of the things that really made me sad this time and i saw this time that i didn't see last time maybe it's where i'm at in my life or with my own artistic practices was how close he was so many times to making it all work out if he had just paid a bit more attention to what was actually going on around him and not been kind of not been kind of like lost in himself um yeah like you know at one point in the movie he he takes this huge trip to chicago like on this kind of like um like hail mary attempt to go get an interview like an audition for this record guy who could really make his career yeah and and he like gets spat out on the side of the highway and walks you know through the snow his feet are freezing he's like come all this way and 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 i was thinking well, A, this is pretty similar to a story that actually happened to me when I auditioned for the Soul Pepper Academy. I flew across the country without an audition time to just to come to the theater. And then there were no, really? yeah, there were no auditions on the day that I showed up, but I ran into the artist, to Albert, the artistic director in the lobby and asked them for an audition. And then they saw me right there uh, and, and, wow. and, and gave me a callback for the Soul Pepper Academy right there. Um, and oh so God. that happened. This is what I mean when I say this movie is very personal for me in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, but, you know, watching that sequence now, I was like, dude, like this could have been the greatest moment of his artistic life. Like to go through an experience that intense, like that insanely intense. And then just like you're there, you have nothing to lose. Like if he had finally been able to express um, oh, a huge plot point in the movie is that he he was originally part of a musical duo and his partner yeah. cre- committed suicide. And that trauma is very unhealed and is bleeding into his ability to be present in his music. It's so painful to play those songs. He can't right. he can't be in them anymore. He does this like surface version of the thing. That's what I see mm-hmm. when I watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he had finally uncorked himself right there, he would have been Bob Dylan. 
You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. that was such a, if he had finally confronted what was going on, that could have been the moment. He could have done something extraordinary. And I really felt the tragedy of the lost opportunity because the song he plays is haunting and small and quiet and beautiful, but it feels like after everything he's been through, yeah, a missed opportunity. And the guy doesn't get it. Yeah. You just yeah, I don't see a lot of money in this. He's yeah. And I don't think I don't think we're supposed to think that he's a, a misunderstood genius and this guy's just a corporatist. I don't think no, that that's the story. So. Yeah. I because it's it, he in his performances, he's so above the audience that he has and he's mm -hmm. above the music that he that even he's doing he's above everyone else's music the way that they're doing it yeah people keep talking to him about how the the stark sands character connects with the audience yeah. and can I, and he remains completely aloof from everything and that's so antithetical to the way that he lives his life he's mm. constantly going at people P the the rich people who who take him in and uh, uh help him out when he needs it the the woman that he slept with who is his friend's wife mm -hmm. um the uh, uh, every uh, even the hail mary pass to chicago he lives his life in extremes yes and then when he plays it all goes away he can't seem to muster anything anymore. Yeah. And it's fascinating because like it was that's the raw material for like the best fucking album ever, you know, like, Absolutely. like that's what's the missed opportunity. And that's kind of what I meant. Like if he just realized what was happening to him is the song, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If he wrote a song about trying to dry your sock after stepping in a puddle in a diner and not really be noticed because you can't even afford the coffee that they're serving. Yeah. Like that's a fucking folk song. Yeah. And that's what Bob Dylan was able to, to find. Yeah, he was exactly. And maybe I, I think maybe it's what he does find. Well, there's no it doesn't leave us with anything. This movie, it leaves no. us. You have to completely just stare yourself in the mirror and realize anything that you're going to say about the end of the movie is just entirely <laughs> reflection of yourself. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's all they do. They, they, uh, the Coens love making an ending where they just hold a mirror that has no frame and no discernible markings yeah. or anything and just let you look at yourself. Yeah. But and you know, what was fascinating about that is I misremembered the end of this movie, which again says quite a lot about myself at the time I first watched it. I thought it was completely clear that he gets on a boat and quits music and leaves it behind at the end of the movie. Oh, that's what I remembered as the story, but that's mm -hmm. not true. He does not get on a boat and leave music behind. It's not clear what happens to him at all. Um, he just says goodbye to the person who, who beat him up. Yep. Yeah. And then the, the cuts to black and written directed by Joel and Ethan I Cohen. know. And you know what? This time I actually had a much more optimistic interpretation of the ending because it seems like when he finally plays Dink's song and it's entirely at the very end of the movie, he yeah. does reach a new level. Like something is unlocked in him. And that performance is, it's, it's, it's the, okay. So there's this cat thing I said is not entirely a joke. There's a, there is a really great quote about this movie that there's like, he loses this cat that belongs to these rich people who've been putting him up at the beginning of the movie. And then basically spends the whole movie trying to find the cat and bring the cat places and get the cat back to the owners. And they said that they real Joel and Ethan Cohen said they realized there wasn't a plot and they added the cat, <laughs> like, yeah. and which is, it's pretty brilliant. But like the cat for me became this brilliant metaphor for like, there's this, something fundamentally out of place about him. Like there's something mm -hmm. not where it should be. 
And because of that, the whole thing isn't working. But when the cat finally goes back to its owner and there's this funny moment where they, they're like the cat's name is ulysses and he's like are you fucking kidding like he's <laughs> blows his mind that the cat has such a like epic <laughs> epic ass name which is such a funny yeah. moment it's like a the missing piece is back in its place like it's like this is a movie about somebody planting the seed of recovery from their trauma and we only see the week before that happens and the the five and a half like the one hour after it happens but right. in that moment of him putting that seed back into place getting the cat back to its owner in his soul or whatever right he then the next performance musical performance that we see him give there is something else there and this is where oscar isaac's work is so brilliant like you see him actually opening up a little bit and he hits those there's something different happening to him and then I feel like, and then this is also me just knowing more music history now. In the past, I was like, oh, Bob Dylan's here and nobody's going to give a shit about this guy anymore. Like this guy's, Bob Dylan's going to do the thing that this guy's trying to do and he's going to be completely forgotten by history. Like now I watched it and I was like, I know that what happened was Bob Dylan became a huge star and then they handed out record contracts like fucking candy to every person who had ever walked through the goddamn door of one of those places. There's a chance he ended up okay, actually. (laughs) If he could... If he could make choices differently, but what I, okay. So uh, like you said, looking into the ending and, and saying what you think it's going to be is just more a reflection yeah, of yeah, yeah. anything. But I saw it as if, if we start the movie where we end the movie and the Ulysses thing being a, uh, uh, it's the Odyssey, right? Which the Coen mm-hmm. brothers uh, use over and over again. They've talked about it being uh, this being a spiritual sequel to Old Brother or Art Thou. Yeah. And they love having a character because having the Odyssey uh, 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 DNA to a story means that everything is unpredictable because mm-hmm. it doesn't follow any of the same like screenplay tropes yeah. of like a, a hero actually learns something and having dynamic characters and having anything. Anyways, so uh, we get to the end and it feels like it's just going in a loop. Like he he always uh, yells something and, and fucks up his relationship with, with someone at the thing, which pisses somebody off enough to beat him up. And then he gets beat up along the way and meets a bunch of uh, crazy kooky characters and uh, tries and tries and tries, but fails. And then finds himself back where he started trying the same things again. Yeah. I- and I wondered if the Bob Dylan was the thing that, that knocked him out of that, but I guess, yeah, I guess uh, yours is more, more, uh, uh, fun. He's, I like but he that. sings the Dink song again. If we're doing Groundhog yeah. Day here, like, like, you know, if we're in the, in the cinematic language of the piece, if we see exactly the same scene at the beginning and end, but there's differences, yeah. I feel like we have to read meaning into those differences. Sure. Definitely. And, and the Dink song comes before Dylan. Yeah. Right. He sings it. Yeah. And he's just sung Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me, which is like an incredible performance from him. It's a, but it's the epitome of that thing we we're talking about. He's like really in that like really measured, calm interior. It's really, it's a really authentic song, but there is something off about it, right? His yeah. performances. And then he gives this performance that's obviously warmer, obviously livelier. Mm-hmm. You could see him come to life. It's actually like Oscar Isaac. I, I want to talk more about him too, but he, he, this movie for me is, I think, his best performance, and it's an Absolutely. his iconic performance for me. Also, it's Adam Driver's best performance. Like, fuck, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which they did together. Yes, yeah, I, know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. The- 
doing movies like this just opens the Hollywood doors to be like, okay, we got to give him a comic book movie now or whatever. I'm like sort of kidding, but the more I think about it, Adam driver is like actually a genius in this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, you should watch it for Adam driver alone. His, that first scene with it while he's practicing his parts. It's, it's, and that's all you get as an introduction to him. And then he's just a really like normal, nice guy (laughs) after that. Even that is jarring. Yeah. No, it's like, It's like the most chaotic scene I've ever seen in a movie (laughs) where I I feel like I I hope everyone goes and watches this movie before you listen to this podcast. But if you haven't, you've got to go watch this fucking scene because they're recording this like novelty song about space and Adam Driver. There's like all these session musicians and and, uh, like we don't know who any of them are and and neither does Lou and Davis. And then like Adam Driver's just there and his his whole job is to just do like a novelty uh, deep voice speaking lines. <laughs> and so he's like warming up and he's like, boom, a boom. And, and, and Justin Timberlake. Yeah. And Justin Timberlake and Oscar Isaac are like having a normal conversation. And, he, and it's like actually really like they're like kind of tense. And you just get Adam Driver over top going like. It's like fucking amazing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's a really it's a really incredible piece of comedy. And the the tension that is never talked about is just you just see <laughs> yeah, Oscar Isaac yeah. trying to learn the changes and like talking with him about like, well, doesn't that like blend too much yeah, together? Yeah, with yeah. The, please, Mr. Kennedy or whatever. And and just his eyes darting back it's and forth. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, I, and I actually this is a good moment to talk about this. Like, I really feel like I, I, there's very few few movies or i'm like newer to really processing and understanding like the language of uh cinema and like the the effects that like the different contributors to a piece of of film have sure so for me i really see now how lucky the coens were to have him because he puts such a unique stamp on this movie that's not their stamp you know what i mean like he anchors this movie so hard so that around him like everyone is like infected by the cohen disease and i mean that in like the best way like it's like i'm obsessed with it but everyone has like nine percent too much energy in everything that they're doing which is like it's like very theatrical almost Yeah, Um, yeah yeah except but oscar isaac just He's this, it's like, it reminds me of that mattress ad where they put the bowling ball in the mattress and like everything sinks towards it. You know, like he just has this like gravity at the center of this piece that everything gets drawn into and he never flinches when everyone else around him is acting like so big and exaggerated. Mm -hmm. And, And there's an artificiality to a lot of the, these characterizations that's through a lot of the Cohen stuff that it works, but it's not life. It is like theatrical. Yeah, well, and that's what's so cool about this, I think, is that they like they are drawing on like myth and legend. And like they're when you hear when you hear people describe stories about this time or any time in music, like if you're looking for like what what did uh, Janis Joplin do in this tour or whatever, Mm -hmm. when you hear those stories back, it's not about telling you exactly what happened. It's about the myth. It's about the, the story that gets told yeah and in a way like the alternate history version of this is kind of like seeing someone talking about this period of time a thousand years in the future right you know who knows how much these actual people will have evolved that's right yeah i think that's so cool and i love that the they do that and and that it what it does is it allows you to i think i think the coens do this better than anybody is take a really serious 
like deadly serious subject matter. I mm. they talk like in interviews, like, like you said, they talk about the that not having a plot without the cat, so we put the cat in it. Yeah. And they, they also said like we couldn't train the cats to do anything, oh, yeah. so we have a lot of footage of of cats doing things they're not supposed to. If anyone's interested in that, a really funny detail I also read about the cat when I was reading about this is that yeah. they couldn't find one cat to do everything, so they just found different cats and then used whatever the cat was most naturally inclined to do that's what they used it for in that scene like it's like okay it has to run so whatever cat was like the runner they got to just like that's when they use that or like the whatever cat would laze around they used the laser around scenes <laughs> but my favorite part about the cohen's is that they're able to i think think about not only the the stories that they're telling but how they're telling it through what medium mm -hmm. through which they're telling it as legends and that allows them to have like John Goodman come on and like you said, like do this big theatrical performance mm. of this character and have the comedy of that, like having someone deadly serious at the center dealing with something that, that's personally very deadly serious, mm -hmm. but then have the events that are around them that are putting pressure on them. Uh, uh, really funny mm -hmm. and and uh, almost disrespectful towards the, the the question that the protagonist is asking themselves. Yeah. And when they talk about when they do interviews and they talk about those kind of things, you can't really take them at their word. Like they're fucking with journalists just as much as they are yeah. promoting their film. They talk about like when they were being interviewed uh, for Oh Brother Where Art Thou? They're like, so it's based on the Odyssey and they both swore up and down like, yeah, I've got to get around to reading that <laughs> like it's on my bedtime it's on my bedroom table i use it in like all of my movies almost and i i just need to read it one of these days <laughs> that's really funny so so they're also creating the legend around them and continuing that you know mythic storytelling about how the coen brothers would do their movies yeah for sure and we haven't even talked about like the uh, the normal Coen Brothers stuff. People talk about like how just like in love with language they are like, and that's one of the things I love. It's such a like the character, you know, they're like portrait portrait makers. These guys, right? Like every character that they put in these movies is like this fascinating, ridiculous. Like everyone's so distinctive and insane. We have to talk about like the way Stark Sands character is written and talks. It's it's like oh. it's like they just like. And this is like a Cohen's thing. It's like they took him out of true grit and just put him into this movie. And like, yeah. it works. Like, it's incredible. It totally works. Yeah. And how everyone has a very distinct... Like, the one thing that I notice is that Oscar Isaac really has to uh, fight for attention. Like, he's constantly... Like, mm -hmm. he wants to be... Even, even the way that Bud Grossman at the end comes in uh, into the thing, and he doesn't know it's him, so he's just playing on his guitar, and Bud Grossman goes into the office, and he has to follow him into the office. Mm -hmm. Other than Carey Mulligan, who has only attention for him, and it's all negative. <laughs> yes, which is... And yeah, very funny. No one else wants to be paying attention to him. Yeah. It's... Uh... It, it feels sometimes like he's not the protagonist of his own story, but yeah. it also feels sometimes like like he's the only real person, right? And that's that goes loops back around to like what I said about his acting. Like he's so it almost looks like he doesn't know he's in a movie. He's like incredible grounded yeah. performance, and then everyone yeah. around him is just a little bit heightened, you know. Mm -hmm. And 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 a few times during this 
movie, I remember thinking like, Jesus, this movie should be called Outside Lewin Davis because I feel like he's fucking <laughs> impenetrable. But then I, yeah. but then when I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, maybe that's what it means to be inside him. Like we are seeing him as this real person. He's a kind of self-absorbed character. Where he, yeah. In this world, he's this really extremely three-dimensional grounded human being and everyone else is this sort of flat it's a cardboard person. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That just hates him for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe that's what he thinks they all feel about him. That's right. Yeah, that it's through his lens and so everybody, even this like the John Goodman character might just have been like a a jazz musician who just like chatted and stuff yeah. but in his mind like these weird and he's got things for arms and he's addicted to heroin. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. <laughs> create this like again, a legend around the the people and have it be negatively impacting him and if only this wasn't in the way, I would be the big thing yeah 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 yeah. he's obsessed with his obstacles yeah and 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 in a way that's i guess it's hard like we never know you know we never know exactly what's going on with him like is he he's in he feels entitled a certain sense of entitlement but is that him just is that his ego? Is that his grief? You know, you can, you project what you think onto it. Yeah. I, what I always got from it is that because every scene is like set up as a, as a morality play, like he, if he just doesn't say this one line, maybe they don't hate him and he gets forward in life, but he can't help himself yeah. because of the way that he feels about his own art and how he's been unfairly maligned. Yeah. He can't help himself from hurting the other people, which then makes them hurt him back. And then he can continue the myth that he's created for himself, which is that he's the put upon artist who never got the chance, mm-hmm. even though he, he did make it happen for it. He could, like you said, he could, if he had impressed Bud Grossman, if he had reached down into his soul and pulled something out, if he had done that final performance yeah. for Bud Grossman, Maybe he would have gotten somewhere. I think the lesson, oh, again, this is me projecting where I'm at today, but I think it's that he wasn't ready. Like he couldn't, because that piece was out of place and I, you know, the piece of the grief, the piece of the whatever, yeah. he wasn't capable of doing the right thing. He wasn't capable of, of letting it rip for Bud Grossman. But then right. three nights later, he actually lets it rip. And maybe right. Bud Grossman's not there to hear it. But when he says au revoir this time, you know, Again, I'm sure the Coens are fucking laughing at me just for even thinking that this is any objective <laughs> meaning to this. But this time what I saw was him mm-hmm. saying au revoir to the thing that punched him in the face. You know what I mean? Like, um, like, like he, he's got the will to keep going. That's what that looked like to me. There's life in that au revoir. It's not, he's not yeah. defeated. That's true. And even though he's, he busted up and he's like lying down on the, on the street and he's, he's cold and he didn't get paid for that performance and and whatever else he he still has his i guess sense of humor yeah you know you, chip on the shoulder still there you compare that to like um joaquin phoenix getting beat up in an alley in the joker like that's a that's a different he's in a different place and he seems like relatively more okay to be honest <laughs> well but i that could also be read as he feels that he deserves the beating up and the beating up will will continue and he's the the cycle is of of his personal life is unbroken though the cycle of his music has been yeah I, yeah i guess that makes sense too 
But doesn't Odysseus get to Ithaca or Ulysses get to Ithaca? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And he wins the thing. But the Coens never, never liked that anyway. Yeah, they, yeah. No one ever they haven't read comes that out far. of the Coen. No. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get around to it one of these days. And then we're only going to get rom coms. Yeah, from that's them. right. It's going to be everything's going to type in a nice bow, just like the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about the language there was a couple of lines that i really fucking loved that i just i i wanted to point out because they were amazing that that carrie mulligan and him are arguing mm-hmm. and they lose their place and she she comes back to it she goes where where were we and he goes you were calling me a careerist and i was calling you a loser yeah 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 it's fucking incredible incredible and uh uh the other one was the the <laughs> When she realizes that it's not her cat, mm-hmm. the woman comes yeah. up. Where is his scrotum? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those moments where it's like, they really, it's such a, there is such bleakness in this movie. that it's like, I guess you just need this lady at her, like this incredibly emotional moment for her to just hold this cat up and scream, where is his scrotum? Like, I guess we just need that like musically for the piece. Oh, you have to. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise every Coen brother movie would be just the bleakest expression of it would be like watching uh uh who's the guy who directed antichrist it'd be it'd be like watching a lars von trier Mm -hmm. film yeah and they they i think they are maybe nihilists uh but i think that they still think that the reason for the season is comedy is we still find ways to give them the punch of the the laugh even though bud grossman saying to oscar isaac after this really haunting uh, a performance where he doesn't fully give it mm-hmm. uh like oh, i don't see much money in it that's devastating to our main character who we've been following yeah but it's also <laughs> done in such a nonchalant way and then going on to even even more devastating oh you were in a duo you sh- you guys should get back together yeah yeah you should join him again like that's so funny like, yeah. it's it's awful but it's, it's like oh and, but you're still laughing and i think coen brothers uh, they love their dark humor yeah i mean it, it really is that like you're not the protagonist of this story kind of moment you know what i mean it's like, yeah you know, it doesn't give a shit about it. the world doesn't care about your pain and your suffering yeah, yeah. they 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 talk about like uh odysseus and they talk about the book of job being a thing like they did a serious man which is basically just like a modern retelling of of book of job but i see a lot of that they they take a lot of delight in torturing their main character yeah yeah for sure i think it's fun it's 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 really good the chemistry between carrie mulligan and oscar isaac is is really great although her really her accent does bug me she sounds like a british person trying to do an american (laughs) accent a little bit and like you know bless it's it's hard i get it yeah but um yeah the obvious like i the obvious like love between them is is yeah it's really intelligently and wonderfully expressed by the coins in the way they they put it all together and the way they allow them to play like the the in the script i don't think that you can find any evidence of of anything that they literally say to one another that speaks to their respect of each other but be, they're just arguing 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 the entire time really cutting each other deep yeah but you really do in the performances you really get the sense that there's a, a shorthand and a, I, a intimacy i there. think he does say i love you once Oh, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but and that's like that's probably the clue. I think that's maybe the only clue, and the rest yeah, of it yeah. just roots out from there. But yeah, it's a really. I find it less, um, or maybe again, this is just the place I'm in. I found that like the sexual morality of it was uh, aging better than I thought it would. 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah like I, I felt like it was like ah, everyone's just like sleeping with the people they want to sleep with and trying to make a sense of their shattered lives. Like, you know, yeah. who's not these days, right? <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah. Whereas before I was kind of like, oh, is there like a, a morality element to these people who like who are you know pregnant and out of wedlock and you know yeah. are their lives over? Is he you know he shouldn't be having sex with all these people? That's what yeah. his problem is, but. It, it it's a lot more neutral than that it's again projection like i feel like yeah. you project your own values onto this movie definitely yeah even they even get that moment where and then they don't pick it up again of of the the first uh diana the character he brought in yes. for the first abortion and then she ended up having the kid he doesn't seek out the kid the kid doesn't like come up mm-hmm uh, i think that's uh, yeah i i um, do think that they put things that are big moments without putting a, a moral judgment on them. Yeah, because then there's that one moment where he's driving past the town she's living in. Right. Right. And then and it's Thinking that's about but it. that's all it is. Yeah, yeah. You just see him see the town and drive past it. And then you get to just imagine what is going what do you on. Think he's thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very, very cool. I love the respect I, that they have for the audience with this movie. I really do feel like like that's what they're doing. It's such a patient movie. They assume yeah. people are going to watch it, you know? Yeah. And maybe multiple times or mm-hmm. or uh, it, uh, allow it just to be the, the challenging piece that it is. They don't like making stuff that is simple to digest. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of gristle on this movie that, that you can uh, come away and, and chew on and think about the moment th- where he is in the bathroom and he looks at the graffiti and it just says what are you doing <laughs> yeah like that to me really hit me this time uh, yes in a way that it didn't last time and i was like yeah and there's no judgment on that it's just the words you literally see him read the words yeah and so they're really allowing you to read into that meaning and i'm it's it was a heavy trip yeah there's you know what's really interesting is um i choose like i think sometimes i'm like i choose to view this film as like pure magical realism which means that like because he read the what are you doing that shook him up and shook his confidence and because he read that when he had to abandon the car like five minutes later that's why he left the cat the what are you doing (laughs) no but i mean it like what are you doing why are you dragging this fucking cat around with you you know like the the cat is obviously like the dreams the uncontrollable dream that you can't control that you 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 keep schlepping this fucking cat around even though it keeps running off and it treats you and there's no clear reward even in it at the end yeah but he abandons the cat there and truly if he had had the cat i bet but grossman would have signed him like you know what i mean yeah like that's how i like i think that's the logic of the movie it's like if he had kept the cat whatever the ripples of fate and destiny that his journey would have been changed in that imperceptible way by him just keeping the cat and getting to the the gig he would have done it i bet that would have been it he would have let it rip oh see yeah i saw the cat completely differently because i i know that it's them just putting it in as like a a thing to have like happening mm-hmm. in the moments while they're dealing with all of these like uh, uh, disparate scenes. I always thought that the cat is the, like the world mm-hmm. and the cat gets back to its owners, not because of anything that Lewin did. Mm-hmm. Like Lewin didn't find him. Or, it just came back to its home because that's the way life is. Mm-hmm. Like we can struggle to control it and to take it with us and, and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's going to continue its clockwork, its loop, and you're going to continue on yours. Mm-hmm. So why are you struggling so hard to 
I don't know. Yeah. To control it, to, to, yeah. to have it with you and under your control. Oh, I love that interpretation. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, uh, the, the thing got released on, uh, the soundtrack got released on Nunsuch records. Yes. Which we've been learning about. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah. Very cool. And you can hear this was, okay. This is, I think maybe the one musical misstep in this movie or one that I'm despite loving the concept thoroughly down to the very details of the production still kind of yeah. a bit off about is there's this sure. only one moment where you hear like interstitial music you hear them play dink song and it's supposed to quote unquote be the version like with the partner right, right. who's the singing voice of marcus mumford yeah and i just awesome. i just felt like this was a weird moment because I didn't know what I was hearing here. You know what I mean? Like it's it's sure. it's not clear the first time you watch it that that's what you're hearing. You put it together later, yeah. but mm-hmm. but it also sounds so modern to me, and yes. and it has a Chris Teeley mandolin solo. And I you know again I'm not the average viewer when it comes to things like this because I've spent many you many hundreds of hours. But I'm like I'm like there is no Chris Teeley mandolin solo on anything from mm. this period of time. Like that is a ultra modern <laughs> thing that's happening right now, and. Uh, but the but the music does sound really really cool and interesting for as modern interpretations of that work. Sure, if you were listening to it without the context of it being in this movie, which sets it at this time or whatever, mm-hmm. do you think that that changes your opinion on what the music is able to accomplish? Hugely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just because for me, the aesthetics of the music, the way the the way the music is made, is super important, and obviously they put thought into that too. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, definitely. But I, I think it's it's a really cool choice to have Marcus Mumford sing sing this part um, yeah. because, like, he was especially this came out what 2013, right? So he was like so, they were on top of the world, those oh, guys, yeah. and he was the voice of folk folk music and so, in our yeah time. And and at the time, I remember too, like watching the movie. I hear that voice and I go like, oh, I get it. It's like when you see Lady Gaga in A Star is Born. You're like, oh, he's a star, obviously. It's fucking right. the guy whose voice changed the world. And I wonder how that's going to age sometimes. Huh. Yeah. Like uh, whether or not uh, uh, Marcus Mumford makes enough of a, a, a dent in the thing that it makes sense to have him as the voice of the stink. Yeah, once, once he's not in the air the way he was then, you know, like, sure. will our kids watch this movie and when they hear that voice go like, oh, I get it. I get, like, I, I would argue that a huge part of the reason that you feel the gravity of the missing partner musically is because you heard his voice and it was Marcus Mumford. And you're like, yeah. you're like, this dude was in a band with Marcus Mumford and Marcus Mumford died and now he's alone. Yeah. That's a big hole. Well, and I think, I think even if you don't have the context of knowing where the Mumford and Sons was in the context of, of folk music in this time, mm-hmm. I do think that hearing his voice back to back with Oscar Isaac, you do go, okay, yeah, there is definitely a difference in how this professional singer and how this actor who learned how to professionally sing yeah. and role there's actually sound. this really adorable live concert that all a bunch of the like session players and stuff they did and they recorded of the music from inside Ooh. Lewin Davis and you oh. know Chris Teeley's there and Marcus Mumford's there they're all there and That's and so poor cool. Oscar Isaac has to go up and play with them all and oh. he's just like you know they're all having a great time and he's and he does sure. well but yeah you know bless his fucking soul he does an incredible job in this movie and he's actually a good singer and a good guitar player but like he is up there with the greatest mandolin player who possibly has ever walked the earth like he is not at their level and i think that that works for the movie 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It really bugs me in movies about music when it's a plot point that the music is a certain way and then it just objectively isn't like that. But yeah. And that's why I'm fascinated by the music in this movie because I actually think the music in this movie is what it's supposed to be. And what it is is very specific and weird and it falls short for me in some ways. But I think that that's, those are ways that are part of the storytelling. And I'm so yeah. super intrigued by that. Yeah, I am too. I, I, I bought this on vinyl and I, I've listened to it a bunch without having rewatched the movie. This is only yeah. my second time seeing the movie Mine too. and hearing it again in context of the, of the film, uh, there is a, there is a big difference. The music I, I think says more to me when it's a, it, about this specific story than when it's just in the air. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree, which should be what grateful music is, right? It should yeah. be this like container in which people can express what's happening to them. Right. Because they are these very either they're so hyper specific that they become general or they're these very neutralized songs. You know, they're 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 not just like the movie. They don't give you. A lot. You have to put something into work for it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess is what uh, the Coen brothers do as well with their films. Mm -hmm. They're they're asking you to make uh, an emotional investment in allowing this to reflect you rather than just reflect uh, something super specific. Yes. About somebody else. Yes, totally. All right. Well, Richard, I could talk about this fucking I know, film this movie. for the rest of time. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's... I know. <laughs> but we're running long, so I'm going to drag us right along to the lightning round, which is the end of our second segment. So this is a, a little game called Blaze of Glory. Blaze of Glory. Okay. I, that's where I ask you questions and you answer them from your opinions. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Are you a sativa diva, an Indicana Jones, or a hybrid or dibrid? I'm a sativa diva. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, your favorite movie featuring cannabis? Ooh. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which oh, fuck yes. also features everything other than cannabis. <laughs> no i think someone someone tells somebody to smoke some reefer yes i think you're right yeah, when yeah. he's when he's telling him to come down yeah, yeah i know that movie pretty well yeah uh <laughs> fictional or real person you'd most want to smoke with um ooh, ooh, uh, 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 I, I just thought of bob dylan i don't know why <laughs> we've been talking about him all night that'd be fun that'd be fun <laughs> I I think that would be amazing. Yeah. Have you read about the the story of him uh, getting the Beatles high for the first time? No. <gasps> it's so good. Oh, Richard, it's it's awesome. They they had never smoked weed before, and so Bob Dylan was like, "Okay, well, we should make you guys smoke weed," and they were all like, "Oh, okay, maybe." <laughs> uh, and then none of them knew how to roll joints even bob dylan didn't so they had to get like bob dylan's producer to roll the joint for them and then bob dylan lit it up passed it to ringo who then bogarted it (laughs) he didn't know that he was supposed to like puff puff pass so he's just sitting there like smoking the entire thing down to the oh it's an incredible that's so funny and then Paul McCartney, right after having that experience, is like they've all been like, "Okay, we we've got to just smoke weed for the rest of our lives." Yeah, now. that's what we're just what we're gonna do. And writes uh, the uh, Motown sounding tune of theirs, "Gotta Get You Into My Life," which is about cannabis. Oh my god, that's amazing! 
It's so good. So we have Bob Dylan to thank for basically everything, Sergeant like Sergeant Pepper's onwards. <laughs> oh, absolutely onwards. Yeah, yeah. You've got just to just him to thank. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. Amazing. Uh, f- uh, fictional or real place you'd most want to smoke? Ooh, um, I would say oh, place. I just had this weird image of like a lighthouse, uh, like overlooking some sort of like Caribbean oh, bay, like just sitting yeah. at the top of like a weird secluded lighthouse, looking at the ocean. That would be beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Movie that would be improved if only the characters were smoking cannabis. Oh, Twelve Angry Men. <laughs> <laughs> We've had that answer before. Really? Do you have a different one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Hmm. A movie that would be improved if the characters were smoking cannabis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Apollo 13. <laughs> I don't know, man. Just make it slingshot or something. Like it kind of depends on what you mean by improved, I guess. Like I do I do I do know. I guess I'm leaving it up to the interpretation. I, my interpretation was like a movie where everyone just needs to like chill the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen said closer. Oh wow! Yeah, that, yeah that's probably that's, pretty that good. A very, that's a fantastic. One. Yeah, yeah, improved. I guess uh, it, any movie that would be like, because if you chilled out, like, would closer be? Yeah, would the movie story? be better, if, or would the people yeah, be having people, a better time? Ah, that is something that has never come up. Yeah, that's in any of that's where episodes. I was struggling. That's with fascinating. It. Yeah, like, yeah. like, like, what's a better movie? Like, a better movie would be something like. Um, uh, like like oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue i feel like i'm so close to getting this one right <laughs> you get you'll, you'll get full marks either way like um uh oh god like the mighty ducks would be super funny if they were all high as fuck you know what i mean like like if it was a movie about this youth hockey team who loved to like just blaze it and play hockey i'd I be like it. that would be a sick movie it's like, yo, what if what if we just do knuckle puck time? <laughs> yeah, and all their like kooky ideas they come up with to like win games. It's like it all makes perfect yeah. sense all of a sudden, right? Flying V, and then yeah. we'll just pass it back and forth. <laughs> yeah. guys, we'll all be just driving down the street. <laughs> that would be that'd be a good movie. I love that Emilio Estevez being like, "Kids, you've heard of hockey, but have you yeah. heard of hockey?" Yeah, opens his jacket on oh, weed. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> See, that's that's what I'm talking about. That movie is now improved. <laughs> Not that we're advocating for people under 19 to be smoking no, weed. No, this no. is there's an explicit tag on this episode. Yeah, I'm just advocating for movies to be made about people. <laughs> movies made about it. Yeah. They can all fake it. It'll be great. Exactly. Um, and can you make the sound of your favorite cannabis consumption method? Oh, um, uh, yum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i'm i'm new to, to liking edibles a lot but i found one that i really enjoy it's the wow oh, what one the do you wowie like wowie chowie pineapple sure which, which has 2.5 a little bit it's a one-to-one thc cbd yeah. and it's just a 2.5 gram dose i like that. it's so nice it's exactly what yeah. i want from an edible I've often overdosed myself with edibles and just gotten too weird. <laughs> yeah, everybody does yeah. that. It's so easy to green out on edibles yeah. because it's very difficult to like make the measurements yeah. and stuff. But uh, the legal market it now has a lot of uh, uh, stuff that makes people have to go through the stringent things mm-hmm. of learning exactly how much is in it. So it's very easy to dose yourself now or, fi- or figure out what dose works for you. Yeah. So I'm so glad to hear that. Really? Got that. So good. Wowie Chowie Pineapple. Highly recommend. Awesome. 
All right, when we come back, we're going to find out if Richard Lamb puffs or passes on this movie. (laughs) Oh, and whether I do too. It's a partnership thing. We'll do it together. Don't go anywhere. We're on Let's Bogart with Richard Lamb. Stay tuned. And now it's time for a segment called What Does My Mom Think? Where I ask my mom, Joan Williston, what she thinks about all this shit. What does my mom think? Hi, Mom. Hi, Daniel. How's How it going? are you? Good. How's it going to you? Good. You beat me to it. All right. Gunslinger Joan Williston over here, ready with the welcomes. <laughs> uh, so the, the movie that we uh, uh, took a look at today was called Inside Lewin Davis. Have you heard of that movie, Inside Lewin Davis? Is that a person's name? Yeah, it's not oh, a real okay. person's name. Oh, it's a okay. it's a uh, fake guy made up. Okay, no, I've never heard of it. Okay, well, it's a, 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 a Eth, uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen are the Cohen brothers who make write write and direct films. Uh, it's one of theirs, and it's about a uh, a singer songwriter at the turn of the uh, 1961 folk music scene in New York. Okay. Um, now, it was released in 2013, and that is the same oh. year that uh, the heavy metal band Metallica released Metallica Through the Never. Did you ever see that movie? Never. <laughs> Through the Never. Me, no. Yeah, fair enough. It's not really, uh, it's not, neither movie are very much up your alley, but <laughs> they both feature songs. So I am going to read you out a bunch of song names, and you have to decide is that from Inside Lewin Davis or from Metallica Through the Never? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready? Okay. All right. We're starting off with an easy one. It's not going to be easy for you, though, because you don't know anything about these movies. uh, The song is called Dink's Song, Fare Thee Well. What song? Dink's. D-I-N-K apostrophe S. Okay. There was a dude named Dink. This is his song. Okay, Fare Thee Well. Okay. Uh, Is that Metallica or is it uh, Inside Lewin? Okay, Inside Lewin. It is Inside Lewin. That's right. How about Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me? Oh, boy. Metallica. No, it's Inside Louis Davis. (laughs) Okay. How about Ride the Lightning? Ride the Lightning. Metallica. Yeah, it is Metallica. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) For Whom the Bell Tolls. Oh, I know that. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'd say Inside Lewin. It is not. It's Metallica. Oh, Oh, is it? Okay. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please, please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, boy, which one had to do with politics, eh? Um, Inside Lewin Davis? It is Inside (laughs) Lewin Davis, that's right. Um, And Justice for All. Metallica. That is Metallica. (laughs) How about Green Green Rocky Road? Mm, That would be folk, so uh, how about Inside Lewin Davis? That's right. How about Enter Sandman? Enter Sandman? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Metallica. It is Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> and how about the old triangle? The old triangle. Okay, I'll try Inside Lewin Davis. It is Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> Mom, you've never even heard of these two movies, and no. you've got eight out of ten correct. 
That's a great prize. What What do you want as a prize for winning today? Uh, I'd like you to get on an airplane and fly to Lethbridge. Oh, I would like nothing more. That sounds amazing. You and Kristen. Absolutely. The minute these restrictions are up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, uh, for the uh, episode today, I had on my good friend Richard Lamb, who's the guitarist oh, yes. in my band and who you oh, know well. No, yes, there. Yes. Uh, uh, If uh, Richard Lamb um, was, uh, we were all going to a wedding. Mm-hmm. And we're at the, the wedding of, of one of our uh, cousins or something. And uh, uh, we're all sitting around with Richard. Richard's a great guy, you know, great uh, uh, mm-hmm. guy to have a conversation with and real talented guy and real knowledgeable of what's you know going on in the world. Um, and he, uh, while talking to us, lights up uh, uh, a joint and then passes it to you and says, why don't you take a hit, Joan? What do you say to him? Really, Richard, must you? (laughs) I like that. It's very succinct. Very succinct. And I'd say no more because my look on my face, at his face, face to face, would would tell him the rest of the story. He would know. He could read that all over your face. Right. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Can you thank my listeners for coming and listening? Thank you for joining us once again today. And remember, keep positive and test negative. <laughs> Thanks so for long. The show, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, Richard, this is the part of the show where you puff or pass on Inside Lewin Davis. So what do you think? Puff or pass. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a pretty clear puff for me. Yeah, like, I think so. Everyone should watch this movie. I'm, I want to talk to literally everyone I know about what they thought about this movie. <laughs> Because it would be a completely different conversation no matter who is watching it. Because it, it, like you, like we've talked about, you'll be reading yourself into it and then you'll be having conversations less about the movie and more about what you believe, I guess. A hundred percent. And it's just fascinating they managed to create a piece of art that is that evocative and that, that, that it really, it doesn't just like let you do that. I think it really forces you to do that. Like it shows you these sure. like frustrating, humiliating situations. And then it gives you these big patient songs to just think and sit yeah. there. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. and if you're not churning through some of your own shit by that point, I don't know what to, what to say to you, you know? Like, <laughs> go watch elf or something yeah yeah but they draw it out of you and then give it this kind of canvas to be expressed it's it's awesome yeah it's pretty fucking cool yeah it's a big old puff for me too uh would you say that uh edison limelight and this movie are a good pairing they're a fantastic pairing i gotta say i actually thought this was the ideal kind of cannabis to smoke for this movie because i don't think you'd want something to uh down to like indica heavy because that would i think really make the the quieter songs really tough to get through. Um, yeah. And, and there's a long section on the highway. That's pretty, that could really lull you hard if you weren't. Yeah. So you want something a little more up. Yeah. You want something that you're, you're able to pay attention and engage. Yeah. Cause this movie doesn't come to you. It expects you to come to it. Yeah. And why not come to it with some Edison limelight? That's right. <laughs> if somebody's smoking Edison Limelight, they watch this movie and they're like, "Oh, okay, that's uh, that's got me uh, uh, feeling some kind of way." But I want to watch another movie before I go to sleep. What would be a good movie to pair with this movie, Richard? Oh, uh, I think that you should watch um, 
like like a like an old golden age musical after this like you should watch like seven seven brides for seven brothers and just vibe your way into bed absolutely just like pajama game remember yes a, 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 an easier time a yeah. simpler time yeah just watch something with like get those tunes in your head and and watch oh, people dancing that. around yeah <laughs> yeah i i agree with that that's fantastic i i just watched um uh white christmas uh, oh yeah i know that that's not going to be for for every every month but if you're watching it in december let me tell you yeah as far as golden age musicals go that script is fucking flawless yeah yeah that's a that's a that's a that's just built like a tank it's a really great tank yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's a the dial the dialogue in it and yeah. the, the the circumstances are a bit <laughs> kind of but it is, <laughs> yeah it's a fucking great fun movie mm-hmm. And you'll need something. You'll need something simple. You don't want to no, have exactly after this movie. You can't have something that's all. You want a palate cleanser. And to be honest, like yeah. I was, take it from me, the person who plays these songs years later, having seen this movie one time, like these yeah. songs will haunt you, and you might want to try to dislodge them. That's why I said like catchy, fun <laughs> musical. Like you, you don't, yeah. you don't want to let them get in there right away because they will never leave you. Absolutely. All right, Richard. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, my friend. Where can people uh, uh, find you online? What they, should they be paying attention to? Uh, uh, where where are you? Yeah, the best place to find me is on Instagram at Ricky Slams. And uh, yeah, the next major thing I have coming out is is our the band that we play in is going to be releasing our album soon, and and so that's, that's right. uh, yeah, that's going to be a, a huge thing for us. And and yeah, and I hope that it's a huge thing for everybody else too. I think it will be. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. I really loved having this conversation. Thanks for suggesting it's Edwin Davis. Cheers, bud. Thanks for having me. Well, buds, that is it. That's the show today. I had a great time. I hope you did too. I love talking about music. I love talking about movies. I love talking about weeds. So to have all of them in the same little podcast show, come on. I'm living the dream. You can follow my guest at Ricky Slams. Like he said, we've got a band, JK, uh, James King and the Midnight Hours. You can follow us on Instagram at JK12HR. We're, uh, uh, yeah, we're planning on releasing an album, and it's a really great album. I'm really excited to get it out there and have people listen to it. Um, you can follow the guy who did the music for this program, uh, JJ Thompson, at JJ and his dog. Uh, he's the lead singer of JJ and the Pillars, and he's been working hard at a new project doing electronic music called Tom uh, Tom Hardy, T H O M, like Tom York. So at not Tom Hardy, N O T T H O M H A R D Y on Instagram, and be ready for that release. That's gonna be really fun. You can follow my mom nowhere because she is not online, but you can follow the podcast. At Let's Bogart on both Instagram and Twitter. You can come to our website, www.danielwilliston.com slash Let's-Bogart to check out the website. Uh, and if you're on iTunes, if you're listening to this on an Apple device, go ahead and leave us a, a rate and review. It really helps us out, really gets the word out there for people, and really helps us uh, uh, show people that uh, there are people who are interested. So please uh, uh, do that. And uh, in return, I've got a little surprise for you. 
because uh, my guest today is a good friend and because he is an excellent musician and singer, I asked him to do just a little kind of uh, lo-fi recording of one of the tunes from uh, uh, from Inside Lewin Davis, and I provided some harmonies. So we're going to ride out on that today. So be ready next week for another mini sesh when we bogard once more. If I had wings like Noah's dove, I'd fly the river to the one I love. Fare thee well, oh honey. Fare thee well. I felt an aching pain Fare thee well, oh honey Fare thee well Sure as the clouds are up above Life ain't worth living without the one you love.